Welcome to Obsessed Show, a podcast that is designed to inspire, featuring some of the most creative people in the world. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Hey guys, just a quick note to say this episode was recorded pre-COVID-19, so if there's anything that seems really out of place as you're listening back, that is why. So as you're staying home and listening to Obsessed Show, please stay safe and healthy. Let's talk about today's episode. Today on Obsessed Show, I'm chatting with designer and tinkerer-in-chief at Humphreys Studio, John Humphreys. John rebuilt the South African camping chair using Argentine leather and pecan featured in GQ and sold at Neiman Marcus. John also does custom projects and helped the building of Intelligentsia Coffee in Austin and the newest shop in the Intelligentsia Legacy called The Meteor. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with John Humphreys. Okay, kids, all the way from Austin, Texas, please welcome John Humphreys. John. Welcome Hello. to Obsessed Show. Thank you. Well, John, first off, it's cool to have another designer on here who works with objects. You know, it's not graphics, it's not websites, it's not other digital assets. You make things and your title is Tinkerer in Chief. Tell us a little bit about what that title means to you. Well, it's good to be here. The title to me means that I work and pay attention to many different mediums, whether it's materials that go on walls or metals that we use to make hardware and parts, um, or just the general feeling of a space. Um, and so it's kind of broad and it touches in many different realms. And uh, I think that's an accurate way to put it because I like so many different things and I'm intrigued by how things work and how to make them and um, use them. Very nice. Well, this is, this is maybe the most important question that I have for you because here in the Midwest, or at least in my head, when I, when I think of this kind of tree or wood or nut, I say pecan. You're in Texas. I don't know. Do you guys say pecan? Do you say pecan? Is it somewhere in between? What's, what's the correct pronunciation? Well, I get a little shrill in my body when people say pecan or <laughs> or whatever you said. I say pecan. Um, I am not sure exactly which one is correct. That's why I usually just, you know, opt for almond. <laughs> Almonds are good. I, Almonds I've never seen an almond wood. Though, so it may not, it may be an inferior chair, but. Um, so in all seriousness, I want to talk about your company Humphreys or the Texas Rover experiment. But first, um, before we go into the company stuff, like I want to know about your origin story. How did you find yourself as this tinkerer or maker of things? Um, like what, what was your, what was your origin of getting into that? Well, for me, that started when I was a kid, um, I loved how stuff worked. I mean, it was pretty ridiculous. I mean, I remember once trying to pay attention to the windshield wiper on the car, being like, how did, what is that? How does that work? Where is the mechanism behind the hood? Where is it? Uh, and then I had a bunch of uh, things that I would tear apart and put back together. Some of them were model airplanes. Some of them were boats. Um, and then at times, as a younger kid, I would draw houses. Um, hmm. 
my dad had a mid-century modern house that was built by a student of Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, very cool. And I remember one time sitting in the yard and I took a paper and a ruler and a pencil and I sat out there for a couple of hours and then I came back in and I just drawn it and I put it down and my dad found it and he was like, what is this? And he was, <laughs> he, he was shocked by it and I was like, I just drew the house. And uh, apparently it was pretty good. I don't know where that is now, um, but it was detailed. It had some interest. The, the house had some um, interesting detail in some of the glass and that was in my drawing um, and this long um, horizontal components that went from the middle section of the big house all the way across the courtyard and over to like a guest house. <clears throat> and I detailed everything and I think it was like eight. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. Eight year old and it's hard to picture him. Like he's, he's very artistic and expressive, but it's hard to picture him doing a detailed uh, rendering of a, of a home. Oh, it could have been 10. Maybe I was eight or 10 or something like that. It was before middle school, 1999 ish, I think Mm -hmm. 1998. Can't, can't remember how old I was then. So your company Humphreys kind of started out as this experiment called Texas Rover. What was, mm-hmm. what was kind of the inspiration for that? Or how, how did that, like, if it started as an experiment, as you talk about on the website, what, what was kind of the impetus for experimenting? Well, I call it an experiment now. And I think I adopted that after I had already done it, when I realized that I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and essentially that it was an experiment just to stay in business uh, because I hadn't been trained. I hadn't been mentored really, but I had decided that I was going to do it. And so I just did. And so it became first, it was how do I make the things that I want to make? Then when that was done, it's like, okay, now I have to sell these things. How do I do that? Uh, how do I then juggle all the things as it moves forward? <clears throat> and so that was the experiment. It was to accomplish that. Um, and, and so now I, I see it as a, as a big experiment that has taught me many, many things. Um, but you had asked what was the original concept or why I decided to start the company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the company, the company is something I started thinking about in my early 20s. I, I had had a desire to do something in international trade, I thought. Um, I wanted to build things. I thought originally what I was going to do was bring back vintage Uh, four-wheel drive cars and then turn them into Texas Rovers which was the start of the name Mm. essentially it was a very kind of matter of fact name Um, and I I set out to do it and I went to South America and I found I think I looked at five cars one of them was a total rust bucket but I kind of like fixated on the idea and I was trying to I was trying to I was going to buy it, but like the body panel was falling off and the rust, the frame was rusted, but you know, I, I set myself on this goal, like you're going to do it and it's going to work out. Uh, and I, 
I, I was going to fix it up down there. And then I just realized I was like, you're being, you're being a total idiot. This is not the right car to buy. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think I called a friend and they're like, yeah, don't buy that one. And so I looked for others and I looked for five and I, then I found one that was really, it was a really good candidate. It was super handsome. It had a good foundation and it would have been a good thing to convert to Texas, uh, this specialized vehicle, which in hindsight is kind of like what they did with the icon Bronco mm. is probably what I was thinking I would do. Um, not knowing what that was at the time. Um, and anyway, I couldn't, the, the guy didn't have proper paperwork on that car. And so I waited around for a while. And in the process, I met people who made shoes and in Peru. And then I met, and I, I thought about that. And then I met some uh, textile makers. And, and then I thought about the idea and what it was about. And it was kind of about really a classic explorer. And that was the most interesting thing to me was um, people who had traversed continents and use portable quality things to support them on these treks across, you know, unexplored landscapes. And so then it kind of changed in my mind to the potential of a lifestyle brand that went beyond just this initial vehicle that was the kind of driving force up until that point. And I, I, I wound up sketching out like 10 things I wanted to make. One of them was a chair. One of them was a blanket. One of them was a pen. One of them, I think, was a can of butter, uh, a light, <laughs> all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. So that's really what happened. I mean, that's what started me doing it. Um, and then that's how it changed. And then I, then I set, set to work on the chair. So what, for, for those of us listening who don't uh, know this term, oh, Texas yeah. Rover, define, define what that, what does that exactly mean? I mean, I get by context, we're talking about a car that you're doing something nice to, but, but what's a Texas Rover like? Sure. Um, a Texas, what, what is it like or where did the name come from? Yeah. I mean, describe for us what that, what that means to convert a, an old four by four into a Texas Rover. Well, I never did it. Um, <laughs> Well, I in, maybe in theory, what, in theory, what are we talking about? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be rip, it would be stripping it down completely, rebuilding the engine, uh, rewiring the car, uh, basically having it be zero mile condition and then add back details that are, um, specific to the car. It could be leather on the seats. It could mm. be, um, a grade of glass on some of the, uh, instruments and color. And perhaps I guess I did think about putting wood on the floor in the back cargo mm -hmm. area. Um, and then I get, I was also envisioning equipping it with, uh, certain items so that it was a, a package unit that could then take you someplace that, you wanted to go or wherever that was my idea though i didn't do it <laughs> so i guess fast forward to uh current day what yes. what all do you do as humphreys what's what's kind of the offering of of your current company the current evolution of that experiment the current evolution involves a few products that we make as evergreen products 
Um, it is design services. So we'll do consulting or design work for certain projects. Um, and we also do build services. So we uh, do uh, design and build on homes. We do custom furniture uh, mm -hmm. that we make and design. Um, and that's, that's kind of where we work in now. So this, um, speaking of furniture, this chair in particular, this South uh -huh. African camping chair, what was yeah. kind of the impetus for, for that project that's obviously gotten you a lot of notoriety? Well, that, that came about as one of the items that I sketched out on that paper I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted something that was beautiful and usable and portable uh, and comfortable. So I set out to do all of those things. And it was a bit of a struggle um, for me. I think it took us a year and a half to get it done. Um, we wound up fashioning the bolts ourselves and the steel parts and how it all fit. And we found out that even though it looks simple, it's not very simple. If you have the hole just a millimeter off, the floor will sit, I mean, the chair will sit weird on the floor and it'll rock and it won't fold the right way. And uh, so we had to go through, go through many different um, iterations to, to make that work and be comfortable the seat the first seat we ever made when we sat in it, it broke apart and uh, my friend elizabeth fell on the ground i actually have a, I have a funny video <laughs> of that one the maiden uh, voyage yeah the maiden voyage and it was some cheap material too we bought some crap from walmart that was kind of streaked brown and yellow and green uh it was it was pretty ugly i feel like i'm getting the mental picture here <laughs> yeah but it was fun. So you landed on leather and pecan. Um, yeah. Like what did you go through all these other materials and woods to get to that as the thing that was both sturdy and beautiful or how, how did you land on Was that part of the, the, the experimenting thinking about shoes and all these other manufacturers or what kind of led you to those materials? Um, well, the wood itself came about because we, I was doing this in El Campo where uh, I was stationed at the time um, for work. I had some family business work that I was attending to there. Um, and there was a local person who had a stock of reclaimed Texas pecan wood that we stumbled across. So um, I don't know in the early phase that we were dead set on pecan, but having found that and then understanding where it came from, and um, appreciating its beauty. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful wood. It's like honey colored and has um, a beautiful grain to it typically. Um, and uh, I just found it, I found it to be very attractive. So, um, and that with the sustainability factor, I mean, the wood was reclaimed from like power line construction projects that were just gonna chop them down and mulch them and these people, turn them into lumber or ones that had fallen over in storms and stuff like that. That's sort of what, that's what we used to make it. And so that was the decision for the wood. Uh, for the leather, we, uh, we were having a comfort problem. The way the fabric that we were using was sitting was 
uncomfortable because your legs would hit the V in the front mm. and then it would hit the bottom of your leg and it's just a pressure point and not, I mean, nobody wants to have a chair that's uncomfortable. I mean, if you had to sit in your car and you were uncomfortable the whole time, it'd be miserable. Uh, and so that wasn't going to work. So we wanted a firmer material or I did. Uh, and so then we tried leather, but we were still running into the same problem. It was kind of baffling. Uh, but we, we decided to put a strap on it and, uh, use that to support the person sitting in the chair. And at first I thought it was ugly, but now I think, now I think it's, I like it a lot. So nice. that was the solution, but we had to go through 20 different versions of the seat in physical form to get there. And so we tried all kinds of different things to not use a strap, but then make it comfortable and then make the shape right and make it kind of have some curve, sexy curves to it. Yeah. It's a great looking chair. I know Thank um, you. probably a lot of these things, like once it gets momentum, you know, once you get exposure in one place, it's easier to get exposure in the next place. But where, where was it that it really caught on or, you know, was, was getting it in Neiman Marcus, like something that happened right out of the shoots or was there something else that was kind of your, your entree to getting some exposure? Um, honestly, I mean, this is where the experiment title comes in handy. Um, because I was with friends at a dinner, um, and mind you, these are friends that own a store in Houston, and they've been very, mm -hmm. they were very helpful to me. Um, because they were just sort of a soundboard that I could use for this new endeavor that I was undertaking. Sure. Um, and they own a store called Man Ready Mercantile, which is really cool, and they make candles and uh, shirts and some, and some apothecary items. But anyway, I was with them and we were at a dinner in, in Houston and there's, there's a really cool man who is a friend of mine now who is there and his name is Ouija Theodore and he owns a company called the Brooklyn Circus in New York. And I didn't know, but he was listening to me while I was talking to a good friend of mine about the chair and everything I'd put into it and kind of where it was and how I didn't know what, what I was going to do or how I was going to sell it. Mm -hmm. and i was like yeah we'll see what happens <laughs> uh and then i and i talked to him briefly and then the next day he came up he was like you know john i heard you talking about this and i do this i'm a part of this uh basically like men's fashion in new york um and i would love for you to come there and i can introduce you to people and it, we'll see what happens but i want to sort of give you an opportunity opportunity to be a part of this and know that and see if that works for you and well, that's and a pretty amazing connection yeah it was and i didn't expect it i didn't solicit it i didn't try for it it just happened and i was like well that's very nice of you and he's like yes it's great i'm happy to do this and i was like okay well how's it going to work he's like well i have this company kramer and stout who, is, who are also friends of mine now they're set up at this booth at liberty fairs which is a men's trade show He's like, join them. I will set that up. Put your stuff up. Talk to everyone who comes to you. Tell them who you are. Tell them what you've done. Uh, and show them what you've done. And it's, it's in like three weeks. <laughs> I was like, oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no big deal. And so then I rushed to finish a website. Then I had a little press book made. And then I had a, a look book made with the different colors that we had and leather. And mind you, I'm just this, you know, up until that point, I, 
I had been wondering what I would do or how this would work. And yeah. all of a sudden I was going to be in New York city being questioned by buyers from every place and fancy people that I was mostly intimidated by. <laughs> I was terrified and I went, uh, and I did it. Uh, and I think that sort of be began that, I mean, it was scary as f for me to be honest <laughs> i don't know it was uh i mean there i was i just made this chair it had just been finished uh and uh i'm in new york city slinging it and that was tough but i i did it and people asked me questions and i was nervous and i didn't know how to represent myself as as well as i do now because also maybe i didn't even have that much confidence in mm -hmm. my because it was an experiment i was like pushing yeah. up against the wall i'm sure that was terrifying it was and i think some people were uh, took a took an interest in me surprisingly i had kaufman mercantile interested in the chair i had uh, several other companies, a magazine in Japan decided to put me in the magazine. Uh, and I stumbled across the editors from GQ magazine and they were talking to me about it. And there was like five of them. They showed up like a mafia. <laughs> I remember the GQ one, mafia. Yeah. Coming down in the corridor, uh, four guys wearing black suits and one, one uh, girl who I wound up talking to and they were sitting in the chairs and I was probably saying way too much about the bolts and the hardware and everything I had done. And then one of them looked at me and said, it was nice to meet you. We've got to go. Oh, and, then, and then I was like, oh, oh shit. I really did uh, And then they got up and left. Uh, I was like, okay, well, that was nerve wracking. It didn't go well. Uh, and then a couple months later, they sent an email to my friend, Rob, who's listed as the brand manager on the website. Mm -hmm. It's like, yo, it's GQ magazine. We really like this chair. We're thinking about putting it in our magazine for the December issue. Do you mind sending the two samples? We need them next week. And I was <laughs> like, what in the world? And so we did. So it went and then, and then things started to move. And then we wound up in Neiman Marcus and then, uh, several other things and you know the experiment continued it changed um, and uh, you know that was that was really sort of the beginning there it's like sort of facing these moments and then uh, being well received even though I didn't expect it uh, yeah well, so that's that, pretty incredible is it yeah I mean the I think this is what a lot of designers think should happen is that if I make a great thing, then people will just notice it and, you know, take me under their wing and then I'll make a million dollars. And, and why well, didn't make a million dollars? Yeah. Well, <laughs> not to imply that, but you know, that, that then I'll be able to sell my thing. Yeah. And, and I think most designers never get to that next step of finding the audience or, you know, or maybe hadn't thought about the audience to start with enough to know who they want to sell it to. So it's, it's just an amazing story that, that you made this thing and just coincidentally made this connection and then got the New York thing and then got the, you know, the GQ <laughs> mafia. Yeah. Meeting. It didn't even go well. Yeah. And you still ended up in the magazine. So right. Yeah. That's, I thought that's that an is. incredible story.
I thought they were like, can't wait to get away from you. Uh, <laughs> but they put me in their magazine, said it was one of the best objects of the year, which mm. was super exciting for me. I felt really humbled and grateful for that. Yeah, and uh, it's cool. Well, this one may be a little bit out of order, but as I was scanning through your website, as I told you kind of before the interview, uh-huh. that brass ink pen just jumped out at me as like, that, that is a baller ink pen. Thank and, you. Uh, I, I want to know the story behind, I, I read a little bit of it, but like, tell us the story about the ink pen. The ink pen, um, I mean, it's essentially using the raw materials that we use for the production of the bolts on the Humphrey chair. Mm-hmm. So we have these long bars of naval brass that come in and they're machined down on a lathe into these sex bolts as they're called which interlock on the inside <laughs> also known as a chicago screw but i prefer to say sex bolt that seems like uh, the better branding it is i think uh and so we we wanted to take from that and uh make a pen it was actually commissioned the idea was sort of promoted by uh, a store that wound up going out of business um but we had already done it and then we had already made it um and so we brought it forward and and sold it ourselves even though that wasn't the initial idea um but it was our design so that's how it came about and has that one had the same notoriety as the chair or have have your other products been able to kind of follow in the footsteps um that i wouldn't say that that pen is uh as as notable or famous as the chair i think it's been it's been in a few little few publications i think Ink magazine put it in there for a holiday gift guide and a few other things and i mean we've sold them i mean someone bought one from dubai the other day uh <laughs> was what i thought was funny i was like your shipping is more than the pen uh, <laughs> Uh, no, but I have to admit I've done that with a Japanese mechanical pencil before. So I can, did you? I, I love those Japanese yes. pencils. Oh, they're so nice. So good. The Japanese are really, uh, really cool with the things that they make and their intentionality behind it. I so, feel. so what do you think about, um, or I guess not, what do you think about, tell me about how you got involved with intelligentsia and kind of what you did with them. Well, uh, I got involved with Intelligentsia Coffee through a friend, um, a good friend of mine that I've been friends with forever, uh, really since high school, but at this point, it seems like a while. Um, his name is Colin, and he's a cyclist. And a friend of his named Doug was somebody that I'd heard of. And he's like, you got to meet Doug. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll meet Doug. And then I think we didn't hang out like two or three times. And then he's like, okay, we're all hanging out over here. Come. So I did. Uh, and then and we chatted and Doug is the founder of intelligence coffee. Uh, and it, it was sort of polite and nice. And then uh, we, uh, I, I don't know. I just had met Doug then. And then I, I guess Doug had maybe thought about later what I do. And then, had asked to come by once and then he came by the studio and he knew that we were making a bed and these chairs and bags and he said how much he really loved them and he's like i want a bag and i want a bed 
<laughs> and I was like, okay. So he bought both. Uh, and then a while later, what did he do? I think he said, we're building this thing. We're building this Boston store for intelligentsia. I'd like you to think about making these stools for it. Mm. I was like, okay, well, we'll do that. So we designed it. And then he, uh, and then I, we shipped them there over freight. And then when he got them, he really loved them. They had inlaid brass on a mahogany base with a mm. kind of plumed uh, leather seat on a, on, on a patinaed steel frame. Uh, and they were beautiful, actually. And then I think he loved that so much. And then we were asked to be a part of the Austin store. Uh, and Doug is the founder of uh, Meteor Cafe here in Austin, which we worked on. And most recently, uh, he has become a partner in my company. Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, it just one thing led to the next, really. I didn't know what would happen, but Doug has proved to be, uh, you know, a, a, a good ally and a good sounding board and a good um, patron for the business. Uh, and now going forward, he uh, is going to be a partner in some of the initiatives that we have, which I'm super excited about because he's very talented and uh, he's definitely a force in, um, he's like a prolific person. So oh, yeah, that's a super cool connection, especially to have him not only as a, as a patron, but as a partner and um, a friend, he's a very, yeah. very good friend too now. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy about that. I feel grateful that he's that interested in what this experiment has been. Uh, <laughs> it's cool. So you mentioned earlier in the show that you largely focus on these evergreen products that uh -huh. obviously you would sell the same thing over time or maybe have evolutions. But um, mm -hmm. how frequently are you thinking about new projects or kind of where do you, where do you focus your own personal time in the business well what we're doing right now is we're, we're building a concept house that i've designed uh and there's some items in there that are going to be the new products for us there's a floor lamp that'll be in the house um, we're developing all of the hardware for the sinks and the bathrooms uh, those are going to be new products for us uh so there's two lamps in there and then we've designed and built all of the windows and we're going to be designing, well, I have designed, we're also about to begin building all of the furniture for the house. Um, so all of those things are going to spin out and be added to hmm. um, our offering, our product offering. So uh, to answer your question, had you said how frequently, um, this, this is a new, uh, this is a whole, this whole world is a new, it encompasses a lot of individual product projects really yeah. under the name of one project. <clears throat> um, so I guess how frequently, I guess it's too early to know. I can probably answer that in 10 years, how frequent mm -hmm. it's going to be, but we're going to put these out there. We're going to make um, really beautiful and, and cool uh, well-made lasting objects with, um, solid material. I mean, that's pretty much what I do in everything, um, is focus on the material and the way it's put together. Yeah, well, it sounds like between the furniture and even like 
fixtures and electrical and all of that stuff that you've got a very wide um, skill set for what you're comfortable designing in. So maybe, maybe right now you might say your dream project is, are the ones you're working on, but like, let's pretend like all those are done. What, okay. what's next out there for you? What, what would be a dream project that you haven't or a type of product um, that you haven't designed for yet? Hmm. Probably a building. I have a, I have an hmm. idea for a building in my mind uh, that I would very much like to build. Um, it is it, the footprint isn't very big. Um, and I kind of go between using concrete or using, um, fly ash and straw bale to, to, to build the structure, mm. um, with a flat roof and simple landscaping around it so that it's sort of minimal because I believe spaces really contribute a lot to your quality of life and the way you feel. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think people need a ton of space and I don't think it should be too little. Uh, and I think the environment on the outside should also be compelling. So it would have a lot of natural light, um, and be kind of Zen around, around the house. Yeah. So I would love, I'd love to build that, um, beyond what I mentioned before, which is what I was very much working on that every day. Um, yeah, I think that'd be cool. I think I'll do that soon. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, so what would you say to this point has been your proudest professional moment? Hmm. It's kind of tough for me. Uh, I don't know. I'm not somebody who gets really worked up on proudest moments. Uh, I kind of take each one as they come and it feels good to finish something. It feels mm -hmm. good to kind of go through, I don't know what's going on. And I don't know if I'm good enough to do this or I don't know if I can and then have it done and then yeah. have it be nice. So I think each time I did that, um, is a proud moment and felt good. I mean, sometimes it's depressing. I mean, when I finished the chair, it took a year and a half. When I finished that, I was actually depressed. I was, I remember being with my carpenter, Yuri, uh, who is a friend and someone that I appreciate a lot. And we were sitting in the wood shop one in the evening, um, with four of these finished chairs. And I remember the seats were there, the frame was done. And I was like, Oh, that's it you know because we had we had really kicked our kicked ourselves trying to get it done um i think when i finished the bag i felt really proud of that because i had done that in a hurry because i wanted to get it done for an event and so i just was like oh, in new york city just grabbing leather looking into things i didn't know like zipper companies and evaluating them and then figuring out how I wanted to redo a very, you know, standard design, which is a duffel bag and what elements I wanted in there. And I did it quick. I think I did it in like two or three months. Uh, whereas the year, the chair took a year and a half. Mm. Uh, and then at the end of that, cause it was so short, uh, I was like, yeah, it's beautiful. I love that. Um, I think getting some of these architectural spaces finished, so seeing meteor finish felt really nice. Um, 
yeah, I was, I was pretty proud of that. Super proud of that. So, you know, I guess all I'm, what I'm trying to get as it varies and yeah, uh, I don't Every know. Project is always the next one. Out one, but <laughs> right. That's, that's a long story there. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. Um, are there any, um, designers that you would consider design heroes or, you know, other brands or lines, uh, manufacturers that, that you look up to? I don't know that there's any brands or lines that I especially look up to. I'm trying to think right now. Mm. I think people who make things really well and do good work and are intentional and put good energy into what they do um, is something that I respect uh, and appreciate. And so when I find that I, you know, even if it, even if I don't like the way it looks, I can appreciate it. Um, I think as a, as a designer, there's an architect. Um, there's a few architects that I like. I like the Bauhaus movement mm-hmm. and um, I like Le Corbusier, the French architect, mm-hmm. and then Noguchi, the Japanese yeah. uh, wizard. And <laughs> let's see, who else? Frank Gary's pretty cool. Yeah, indeed. He's very cool. Um, who is the one who did that really weird house with a lot of glass and the odd green kitchen? Um, I can see it, but I can't remember his name. I love him. It's a little bit left of center and kind of weird and charming at the same time. Uh, it sounds like something I would dig, but I'm, it's not registering. <laughs> I'll have to send it to you. I'll have to find it and All send right. it to you. Yeah, we'll throw that in the show notes if you've got a link for me. Okay, okay. Uh, and who did the glass house? I love him. I think his name is Philip. Uh-huh. Uh, do you know? Uh, yeah, that's uh, it is Philip something. Philip something. Yes, Philip something, that's, the great glass that's house. That's not good for your podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's really the best real, audio. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I think his work is beautiful. I love the way. I love the way that house feels and the openness of it and sort of the minimal qualities that he had in there. He had a fireplace in the middle of the room. He had chairs set off to the side. Uh, yeah, I feel like his spaces are inspiring. And I like, I like him a lot. I can't remember his last name. <laughs> Maybe Sorry. we'll just dub that in after the recording. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll send you a voicemail and then you can dub it in. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, so this is my, my favorite question to ask everyone because yes. it doesn't necessarily have to be a design answer, but it sure can be, um, mm-hmm. which is out of everything that's going on in your life right now, what is it that you think that you are most obsessed with right now? Hmm. Well, I think it's a mix between waterproofing this house and how to make sure no damn water gets in there uh and the fixtures that we're making for it Mm. yeah ironically both connected to water yeah strangely both are connected to water one dispenses and one (laughs) repels i'm into both (laughs) 
All right. Maybe, maybe an easier question. Maybe not. Yes. Um, your favorite piece of advice, either your favorite piece of advice that you have received or your favorite piece of advice to share like with team members or to pass along to other people. Hmm. Well, I think um, this is probably a mix between something that I feel and, and something that someone said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think someone said to me once that you'll get a lot of advice in your life. Um, but be careful which one you listen to. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the other part of that is, you know, learn to listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe go to people who can help you understand what you think and what you believe and feel and want. Um, and then act from that place. Um, because, because doing that, I think, gives you power and it gives you um, motivation, you know? And I think a lot of people will kind of tell you what they think you should do or what maybe seems right. Um, but that may not actually be true. So I feel like getting to the place <laughs> that you know from yourself, that's important. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Kind of the, the old trust your gut thing. Kind of, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's it. Well, John, you were there in Austin. Are there places for listeners who may be nearby or visiting Austin that they can come, uh, see the chair or, you know, retail locations that they could hit up to track down your stuff? Well, we're opening a, uh, we're, we do showings appointment only at the moment, but we're opening something that'll probably be open a few days a week. Um, on East Second Street in Austin. Yeah, nice. So anyone's welcome to contact us, and then you can show them, uh, or they can follow along and come there when it's when it's ready to open. Still got to build some shelves for it and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely be there later this summer. So, I'll, well, I'll let me know. Have to hit you up. Yes. And then outside of the physical space, um, before we let you go, let our listeners know where they can track you down online and connect with you and find all the products. Well, so we're HumphreysBrand.com um, online. And then we are HumphreysBrand on Instagram. And I think there's a Twitter out there, but I can't remember what that is. <laughs> we're not <laughs> sure if anyone's actually tweeting on it, but there may be a Twitter. <laughs> I, I think they did at some point. <laughs> Uh, but people like pictures in this world. Yeah. Turns out people do like the pictures, especially the digital yeah. types. We got we will, Yeah. We'll be sure to uh, link to all of those things and all those places in the show notes as well. John, okay. it's been a pleasure chatting. It has been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show Jordan. and thanks for being obsessed with design. Thank you for having me. Okay, kids, that's episode number 136 in the books. For all of today's show notes, head over to obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already while you're there, add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some cool things I find in my daily obsessions. Of course, all the links are over at obsessedshow.com to all the places you can find this show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed Show from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com. 
The Obsessed Show is produced by yours truly, Josh Miles. To have me speak or MC at your next event, head over to joshmiles.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.